Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you very much, Rachel, and welcome, my friends, to another edition of In All Things, a podcast uh, for the EPC, and hopefully for the broader audience of EPC's family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers as you share the good news with others of what God is doing through the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's a delight to have you with us again. And I don't take that for granted. I really do. I, whether you're um, sharing this with others or you're listening as you're taking a walk or perhaps as you're driving to work, uh, wherever it is that you uh, make access to uh, podcasts that you have included us in that time is a privilege, and we hope to be good stewards of that and trust that what we offer to you during that time will be beneficial to you, will help you to grow closer in your walk with the Savior and give you more information and insight into the larger church to which you belong as a member of the EPC. Our episodes of these last number of uh, weeks are brought to you by our two very dear friends inside the EPC, BRI, which is Benefits Resources, Inc., and World Outreach. Uh, World Outreach has uh, more than 140 partners, global partners around the world, and some are in situations where you might consider them to be rather traditional. Others are unique and in places where it's very difficult to go and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. So for example, uh, we have a group of uh, workers in Southeast Indonesia who are actually starting a finance project, a business of growing sea cucumbers. I've never really seen or heard of sea cucumbers before, but it's actually turned out to be quite a profitable business, has a significant market share, and they're leveraging that business to be able to reach one of the most difficult, unreached Muslim people groups in a very remote, small series of islands in Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim-populated country on the planet. So it's particularly strategic, and they're working with other folks who have come out of Islam and are now following Jesus, but kind of have a bit of a foot in both worlds so as to be able to bring the gospel to their friends and their neighbors and their family members. And it's a a delicate, difficult place to be doing ministry, which is why our friends at World Outreach often say we go to the hard places. So above all else, please keep them in prayer. And if you have space in your mission portfolio, in your church, and are looking for great places to invest in the kingdom, please contact our office here at the Office of the General Assembly and ask for either Gabriel Tagia or ask for Jason Dunn, and they will direct you to really worthy people for whom you could be partners in the gospel. Also, our friends at Benefits Resources, Inc., you know, that's one of those invisible things that's part of EPC. There aren't many denominations these days that even have health benefits programs. Most have chosen to get away from that because self-funded programs, as small as ours, are very challenging to be able to maintain. Um, In fact, a number of years ago when I was on the Committee on Administration, we thought about shutting down our health care program, and we brought in someone to help do that, and he found a pathway forward to viability. 
and since that time, uh, Bart Francisconi and his team have done an exceptional job of being able to provide care for our pastors and their families, as well as many of our global workers. And uh, that's no small feat in today's insurance uh, market. And so it's not something to be taken for granted. It's something to be deeply appreciated. And they exist to serve you, to answer all of your questions. And it could be questions not only about your health care, but also about your retirement. Did you know, for example, that when you retire, pastors, that you can actually continue to have your housing allowance on your retirement income? And there's a way to do that. So if you are interested in things like that, again, please reach out to our benefits office. They would love to help you because they are here to serve you as well. In fact, the entire office of the General Assembly, whether it's Brian Smith in communications, whether it's Pat Quaylio in finance, whether it's uh, Marty Ratcliffe in human resources, Scott Blanchett in IT, um, we all are here to serve the church. If you call us, you get a real person, and we offer real help for our congregation. So please don't hesitate to reach out, especially to BRI and World Outreach. Well, this brings us to our topic for today. I'm delighted to have uh, the, the man who I would refer to as my pastor when I'm in the Orlando area. I'm blessed to have two uh, because I spend most of my time in Florida uh, when I'm not traveling, but I also spend some time in Pittsburgh. And so I'm blessed to be able to attend the church that I pastored for 15 years. Uh, the new pastor there has been super gracious and welcoming me to be a part of the congregation whenever I'm home. And he's a bright and gifted and talented young leader that I'm honored to be able to come alongside of and support in any way that I can. But when I'm in the Orlando area, and honestly, this last year I've been traveling so much that it hasn't been as often on the weekends as I would like, I uh, move over to River City Church in DeBerry, Florida, where I sit under the great teaching and preaching of Doug Walker. Doug is the pastor of the River City Church, and he is an exceptional expository preacher and plays the guitar and the piano. He is multi-talented, and so I'm delighted to just have somebody who is a, a really great pastor in the EPC come today to, to share his story and maybe some insights on a few years of pastoral ministry. So Doug, welcome to In All Things. Thanks, Dean. Good to be here. Yeah, it's a delight. Just had Presbytery. Your church did a lovely job hosting Presbytery just about, about a week ago yeah. or so. And I knew that you played the guitar. But then when I saw you over on the piano, I thought, my goodness, what does this guy not do? I mean, I haven't seen you on the drum kit yet or anything like that. But uh, a pretty impressive skill set. And I understand before you came into pastoral ministry, you had some background in, in finance and in software. So I'm just curious uh, let's hear your story. How did how did the Lord get a hold of you, and how did you end up being called into ministry? And and just give us some of your background so we'd have some context and and getting to know you better. I grew up right here in Orlando, and uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Wonderful parents. Both were officers in the church. One was a deacon. One was an elder. I'm sort of a perfect example of a Presbyterian system moving forward in that. That actually works. That actually works. A so healthy covenant family. Wash. You know, it's amazing because we give all the flash and credit to these stories that are so phenomenal. But in some ways, a faithful covenant family that you grow up in and it actually results in you. <laughs> that's something we probably should like put on the billboards because that's like even more, the amount of grace it takes for that to occur to some degree, is even greater than some of these amazing conversion stories. Yeah, not, not without its bumps in the road, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, went through the communicants class, fifth grade, professed my faith in Jesus Christ then, was 
deeply involved in the life and work of the church, as were my parents. And uh, it was a wonderful experience uh, growing up. Went to college, and as often happens in college, there was, I, I wouldn't say a rebellion of any sort, but certainly a pretty healthy ignoring of uh, the faith of my childhood and an exploration of other things, other philosophies, other ways of living life that were obviously unproductive, unfruitful. But for a, for a season, there was that time away, I guess you could say, disconnected in, in many ways. I began dating a young lady who simply said of me, if we're going to get serious, uh, you're going to have to get serious about your faith again. And so um, God used my wife <laughs> to do just that. And it became one of those things where as an adult, you, you understand the depth of your sin, you understand the amazing grace of God in a much different way than you did coming up under the tutelage and oversight of your parents. And you know the old phrase where you you sort of leave the faith of your childhood and and understand more fully what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. And it, it was just part of the maturing process. In college, though, I studied economics and wanted, wanted to be a financier. Came out of college and actually began to work in a company that my dad worked at. And uh, so it was both finance and insurance. Got my broker's license and just started down that path of, of you know, pursuing success. Or, and I, I didn't really want to be rich, famous, and super successful in that, in that realm. But I, I did want to be able to provide for my family and, and do a good job as a... Or just kind of pursuing that, you know, I've got my head down kind of middle America, you know, pathway, right? You, exactly You go right. to grow up and go to church, and then you go to college, then you get a job, and you hopefully make enough money, and you have a decent family, and you go to your kids' baseball games, and, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So this was just kind of normal middle America kind of stuff. You're exactly right. Yeah. You're exactly right. But an interesting thing happened. God used a man who was uh, in the same office as me. Our firm shared space with an arm of crew at the time was called Here's Life. It became more of a marketplace ministry to business people. And a man by the name of Jack McGill just said, let's have lunch. And we had lunch. We talked about me growing up in the church and my faith and where was I and just a, a real strong challenge. And I thank God for guys like him who came alongside me and really helped me grow and, and get not more serious about my faith, but just going deeper and deeper in my understanding and my walk. And so during that time, my wife and I ended up becoming affiliate staff with Crew, and we worked in the marketplace, and it was just a wonderful uh, I, have, I have a friend who jokes that I joined an eight-week Bible study 25 years ago, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we're still at it. And it, it really was that kind of thing where, where you gathered business people at a lunch or, or perhaps at a, at a, a gathering where a, a renowned speaker would come. And, and then you would, you would ask them if they would be interested in, in becoming a part of really something as simple as a lunch and learn or, a, or an exploratory Bible study, those kind of things. And that was my first foray into evangelism, really a boots on the ground kind of evangelism, where I shared my faith one-on-one -on -one with other folks. And in that sharing of my faith, 
my faith exploded and grew exponentially. Oh, I want to uh, let's put a push pin in that comment because I want to come back to that because that's really important, Doug. The idea that you actually sharing your faith acts as a catalyst in growing your faith. So I want to I want to come back to that. But there are a couple of things that you said earlier that I want to dig down on because I think they maybe have formed and shaped you a little bit in terms of who you are now as a pastor. You know, this idea of kind of integrating the workplace and your faith, that has to have had an impact on how you pastor a congregation because you had this kind of faith and work sort of integration thing going on, uh, which is one huge gift. And then just paying attention to uh, what God was doing in your life so that you could sort of navigate, you know, obviously God had predetermined where you were going to go and end up and you were on this pathway and you didn't know the outcomes yet but by paying attention to certain things like uh, an individual who who says let's go out to lunch i tell a lot of young uh, pastors in particular who are your top five give me the names of the five men who have influenced your life and how have they formed helped form and shape who you are and then the second follow-up to that is have you gone back to them and told them what an impact they've had on you, because I, I think that would be a gift back to them to do that. So it sounds like this guy was one of your five. You're paying attention to that. It changes the course of your direction, but it also has to probably form and shape your understanding of how you're going to be a pastor, right? It really does. Uh, growing up, my parents were extremely generous, hospitable, open-handed in every possible way, but I never saw them share their faith. I, I, I never saw them evangelize. I didn't have that example. You, you knew that Christ compelled them to live the way that they live, but whether it was a different generation, a different era, a different understanding of church life. My parents invited a lot of folks in our neighborhood to be a part of our church, but I just, I never really saw that. So that was, that was piece number one. Where I, I do saw. think that was a generational thing in some ways. Not, it doesn't mean there weren't evangelists at that point, but there was sort of the Billy Graham event kind of approach that right. we live a, a good life, we're hospitable, and we invite people to church, but it's the pastor's job to share the gospel, or it's Billy Graham's job to share. It's not our job to do that. We're just, after all, you know, we're, we work in a, an insurance place, or we, you know, teach school or something like that. That's exactly right. So, when I, when I began to see marketplace ministry, where the integration of my work life and my faith weren't these two separate entities that, that had a, a, a thick line between them, but they were actually uh, very connected. And, and when I began to realize that many of the people that I work with were far from the Lord and needed to hear the good news of the gospel, and if not me, then who? And if not then, then when? You know, those, those simple questions. And that really rattled me because I did believe growing up that it was the work of the pastor. It was, or that of a, of a select gifted few that would share the gospel of Jesus, and then, and then we'd get plugged into the church, and we'd all grow together. And so this was a, this was a new thing for me, and a very exciting thing, because it, uh, sort of the light bulb went off in my head, like, oh, w- wait a minute, I can talk to co-workers about Jesus, and I can integrate what the difficulties and the uh, hardships are at work or in their lives, and become much more holistic in my witness for the Lord. So my question is then, you've got this sort of robust, uh, I'll call it a Kuyperian theology, you know, that is, you know, you understand all of life 
belongs to him, including your work. So you know that you don't have to be in full-time ministry to be a minister. You can do that in your work. Your work is holy unto the Lord. You, you didn't buy into the sacred-secular split. And yet somehow, you having this kind of robust, full view, you still ended up stepping away from that industry and going into full-time ministry. How did that happen? During our time with Crew, it became more and more evident that a life of vocational ministry was was on the table. That my wife and I talked about that a lot. We prayed about that a lot. We often still joke that you know she'll say, "I, I married a stockbroker. What in the world happened?" And um, <laughs> and and that's legitimate because, uh, as you well know, the the life of a pastor's wife or pastor's spouse is n- not an easy road to hoe. And so it's it's a a decision point that was very extended. We were challenged by crew to come on staff full time, and we were we were hung up on silly things sometimes. I would call them silly because, you know, the Lord provides where he guides us. But Is it the fundraising? But was the that, fundraising, yeah. you know, really tripped us up. I'm thinking as up. a finance guy, the hang yes, might have been the yes, fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. So you see how some of my worlds were colliding at that <laughs> that's point. Right, that's right. And uh, so that did become a, a legitimate part of the conversation. So we would pick it up and put it back down over and over again. This was a two-year process. It really was. It maybe even longer. And during that time, two children were born, <laughs> which... You know, and the in the master of terrible timing, it was two weeks after my son was born that uh, I sat up in bed one night and I, I told my wife, "I I think I'm being called to the pastorate. I think that is where we're we're headed." And of course, you know, can, can we please talk about this later? Right. Uh, right. Yes, but I, I don't. I can't tell you the exact point. I can't tell you, we, we weighed all of the, the, it's not pros and cons, but it's just, what do we give up? What do we gain? Where, where is it that the Lord is leading us? And it was just a, a wonderful and painful discernment process. Mm. Um, did you have other people that were speaking into oh, your life yeah, at that time? Lots and lots. And what role did that play in helping you discern? I think two of the folks were pastors, uh, so that that really helped me un- understand things uh, from that perspective. Two were the friends in the workplace, who one who had come to saving faith in Jesus through the ministry of the marketplace ministry through Crew, and just hearing all of those, the reality of why why is this an either or came came to the fore, and I think that was helpful. Is why why would becoming a pastor mean that you're giving up marketplace ministry? Why is there this dichotomy with, you know, I, I would hear if you go into the pastorate, then you're going you're gonna to be surrounded with believers and not unbelievers. So where, were your, where will your mission field be at that point? And those were all very compelling questions. What I found out was that every pastor, and this has been growing for the last 25 years, Every pastor has the opportunity to be engaged in a mission field of some sort. I love to sail, and I joined a sailing club with just a bucket load of heathens, and it was a blast. It, it right, was just right. one of those. So I think every pastor need to hang out with more heathens. They There's do absolutely. Uh, they do. do and so what happened was there. There was someone who said, "Well, if if it's not a dichotomy." 
can't you become a pastor and a shepherd and still guide your church into, and, and, and this is, now, now we're getting into some of the hallmarks of the EPC, into a more missional theology or ecclesiology and uh, teach them to be evangelists in the same way that you were taught to be an evangelist? It's kind of like you almost uh, looked at the same uh, thing from, from you, were, you were approaching it from one side, which was you were in the marketplace doing ministry, and now you're approaching the same reality from another angle, which is you're in the ministry in the marketplace. So it, it's the same intersection where the gospel kind of hits the road and makes a difference, but you're, you're approaching it maybe from a slightly different standpoint. And I've got to think, Doug, that that, um, just to move forward a little bit uh, as a pastor, having had that experience and background and having that sort of um, holistic approach, um, and I don't know if you've read uh, David Kinneman and the Barna Research's book called Faith for Exiles that came out recently, but he gives these five things, you know, that result in kind of a resilient faith. The last one is is holistic discipleship or faith and life discipleship, where in order for people to be discipled well, uh, to sustain, to survive, to be vital, they've got to understand how their faith integrates in their work. And I think we have a discipleship crisis in the church because we have so many people with a consumer orientation where the the church is a good and a service that they shop for and and receive and it becomes kind of a self-centered sort of approach to church versus i'm coming to follow the savior and learning how his lordship has implications over all of my life and so having been on the one and now on the other how has that shaped the way you help disciple your people I begin every new members class at River City and, and at my previous church as well with a, a challenge and a, and a question. What if becoming a member of this church is far more about what you have to give than what you want to receive? So you, you have to, from the very beginning, begin to understand that a life in Christ is a life of service. We, we've even done some weird things with our nomenclature over the last 50 years. Do you remember when worship used to be called a service of worship. Now it's called a worship service. We sort of flip the thing on its head where people come to receive instead of the attitude of bringing a sacrifice of praise. And Mm. all of that has seeped into the life and work of the church. We have become a come and see rather than a go and tell type Mm. of environment. And that's not to say that to come to a church like River City, you won't receive hope and healing and encouragement and friendship and fellowship. All, all of that is true and good teaching and uh, the, the hope of the gospel. But there's also an expectation in that to be a follower of Christ is to be one eager and ready to share the good news that has changed your world. Also to, to put your life on the line on a daily basis. And so you're not just a church member, you're a church missionary. And if you're a church missionary, where's your call? Where's your Jerusalem, your Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? And usually it's your neighborhood, it's your workplace, or it's your own family. And so the challenge becomes, how do I then serve the Lord by worshiping in spirit and in truth and in sharing my faith? And then now we, we get to that fundamental shift right, right. In, in what is demanded of us from the scriptures, but also the way in which the 
the whole church is structured. And I think it makes a difference. So coming in, the expectation is, is pretty high. Well, first of all, I think that's a, a, a brilliant leadership move. I tell young pastors all the time, if you want to change culture in your churches, start it in your new members class, right? You, you At the point of entry, that's where you have the best chance to influence culture downstream. So if you build in that expectation up front, you have the chance to influence and shape culture. So I, I think uh, I want to go back to that thing we talked about earlier. You made the comment that in sharing your faith, your faith actually grew, something to that effect. And as you're talking about equipping your people and saying, well, what is your mission field? Your mission field is at work. A big part of that is, is certainly integrating your faith in your work and understanding that all of life is under his lordship and, and that how you do your job with excellence as unto the Lord is, is you know, kind of this biblical worldview applied to all of life. But part of that is a lot of people live that, that life but never actually... Um, much like your parents, never actually articulate that uh, to other people in a concise presentation of who Jesus is and and why he died for them and what that would mean. So the idea of evangelism, and your uh, description earlier, by the way, is a beautiful, succinct pastoral definition of the missional church. That's, you know, people say, well, what's that mean to be missional? I'll say, well, go back and listen to the podcast I did with Doug Walker. He had a great definition of what it means to be missional. But inherent in that missionary mindset of your members has got to be the notion that they have to be equipped to share the gospel. That if, you're, if we're not doing that, then we really aren't missionaries in that sense, right? You're right. I begin with Howard Hendricks used to say, you cannot impart what you do not possess. I think uh, John Piper said, you cannot commend what you do not cherish. Uh, to two different statements describing the very same thing. And so you have to begin with, where are you in your own life, in your understanding of the gospel, the depth of your own sin, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, how is that lived out in your life day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute? Begin there. And then from that, is that something that you want to share or you just feel like you have to share because of your obedience to Christ? That's a big difference, right? Like it is. one is law and one is grace. Correct. I became a grandfather uh, two, a little over two years ago. I will never hesitate to share pictures and stories of my granddaughter with others around me. And as I share, my love for her swells and it increases because mm-hmm. I'm reminded of things that she has done. I'm constantly thinking of her sweetness and, and my desire to be with her and all of those things. And I think that's a good analogy that's for us analogy. as we share our faith. If the gospel is not just embedded in our hearts, but we truly have become new creations, born again, and we we're not just better versions of ourselves, we are bought at a price, and this reality is so dear to us and so powerful in our lives that we want to share it, must share it, cannot live without sharing it. I think that's the impetus of evangelism. And it to really dig is. down on your analogy a little bit, all of that comes out of your love for your granddaughter. Right. And all of evangelism comes out of our love for the Savior. Yes. Yes. That's the beginning point. Now, to give folks tools to more effectively share that message, 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I would love to know more about, uh, you know, photo apps so I could show more pictures of my granddaughter. There's right. always tools to use right. to, to better share a face. Well, at this General Assembly coming up, we're going to unveil the EPC's tool. And it's a modified tool from um, another organization, another church that has found something that is just God has been blessing and using mightily. And it's called the Three Circles. Mm-hmm. And it's based on creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So it has this solid biblical worldview underneath it. But it's so elegantly simple. Uh, you can do it on a napkin. And they have training for like four-year-olds and five-year-olds, let alone 40 and 50-year-olds. So it's got this elegant simplicity we're just really excited to kind of unveil that for the whole EPC to say, okay, folks, you're welcome to use whatever tool that you like, or if you're skilled to be able to share your faith without one, that's fine too. It's not our, our culture ethos to force anybody, but if you love Jesus, but you feel like you can't, you don't know what to do. We've got something so simple that even I can do it. And, and, and I've shared it with a bunch of people, and it's just so unbelievably easy. We're just excited to see what the Lord does with that. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So is that part of, in conclusion, you're, we, as we draw this to a close, you, you're also involved in the church planning committee of yes. the Presbytery. And is your love for evangelism a big part of why you're so invested in church planning? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, church planting is probably the most effective form of evangelism there is. Starting new works, demographically, statistically speaking, all you have to do are, are read the reports of, of what an established church of 10 years or more does in terms of evangelism versus a new church three years old or less. It's, it's staggering to see that anywhere from 30 to 80 percent of the new folks that are connected to a church plant are new believers, brand new believers, oftentimes coming to saving faith through the ministry of the church plant. The first church plant that we did when I was in Michigan, I remember the first year, we had one person come to saving faith in our church, and the church plant had 30 new baptisms. Wow. That's a reason for celebration, too, because sure. as the mother church, we, too, are a part of that. That was a part of our outreach, our evangelism, and, and our like sacrifice. Just you celebrate the victories of your children, right? Exactly right. I mean, I have no greater joy, Doug, than watching my adult daughter parent. Uh, watching her parent well brings me more delight than same, almost same anything. And so if you have, a, if you have a, a, a parent church that sees a daughter church thriving and flourishing, what a delight that feeds back into the mother church. Yes, yes. And I know there's lots of roadblocks for that kind of thing. Uh, many churches are saying we're, we're struggling just to survive. We're, we're trying to figure out our own. And, and I understand that, and that's fine. That's why the EPC's three opportunities, either parent, partner, or patron, are, are just a wonderful way in which any church in this denomination can enter into church planting. But you know the old adage, how much money do you have to have in order to have children? Well, you can never have enough money to have children. So don't let that stop you. And I think that that same thing applies to church planting as well. If I could uh, draw a bullseye, uh, Doug, and say, okay, here at the very center of this bullseye is the the picture of uh, an EPC pastor that I would love to see our denomination, uh, our young men and women grow toward that particular bullseye, you'd be right at the center of it. I think you capture the, the heart of the EPC uh, theologically, missionally, your, your spirit, the ironic way in which you go about it, but you articulate in such a good pastoral sense 
what it means to be missional and why evangelism is so important. And you model that. So I just want to thank you for that as your state clerk and as someone who sits in the back of the church uh, on Sundays when I'm in town and just appreciates that so very, very much. You're very kind. Thank you. In closing, do you have any uh, quick words of advice for any young pastors that are getting started? I know that's probably a, a bigger question, but any little axiom that you could give them or any little thought that you'd give them as if they're uh, wondering how they go long term? I don't have any axioms or, or long-term uh, ad- advice, but I, I will say cling to Jesus and make sure that his gospel is clear and is embedded in your heart. Make sure that that which you are commending to your congregation, you cherish first. That's so well said. Thank you so much, Doug. What a gift. Appreciated the conversation today, and uh, we'll have you back in the near future. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Dean. All right. Well, my friends, I hope you found today's conversation encouraging. Just good to hear from a pastor, especially after all that we've been through in these last couple of years, someone who has uh, clung to Jesus and advocates to others what has been uh, so dear and near to his heart as well. And I hope this has been an encouragement to you as it has been to me. Well, the greatest encouragement of all my friends is uh, whenever we are in God's word, we always end our time with a good word from God's word. And it uh, really captures a lot of what we talked about today uh, with Pastor Doug. It's Colossians 1 verses 15 through 18. You see, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, my friends, the church. That is our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, grace and peace to you. Until the next time. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.